fellow Gray City. Uh, my name's Josh, uh, here in uh, Hintonburg, and I'll be reading the uh, scriptures today. Um, and it's coming from 2 Samuel 7, 18 to 29. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house, that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what uh, more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Israel, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever. Saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that you may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. The entire Bible is about Jesus. And every page is either directly about him or it points to him. And these verses that we're looking at today in 2 Samuel chapter 7 are key verses in what is referred to as the history of salvation and God's story of salvation. This story starts in a garden. It starts in Eden at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, but we don't have to be too far into that story to see sin come into the world and change everything. This beautiful paradise that once was suddenly corrupted and uh, impacted so horribly by sin. But immediately God sets a plan into motion uh, to return things uh, to this uh, garden state, to return things to this perfection before sin came into the world. And what we're looking at this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is David's response 
King David's response to something that God says to him earlier in this chapter that helps David see where he fits into this great story. And the verses that Neville was looking at for us uh, last week was a direct pointer ahead to Jesus Christ. God makes amazing promises over David and over a throne that will come from David that will last forever. And, and that, uh, in the short term, is fulfilled in David and through David's son, Solomon. Uh, but ultimately, it is fulfilled through Jesus Christ, who comes from uh, this line. So these verses that we're looking at, even here today, th these are key verses for understanding the story of Scripture. And even within that story, how every page is about Jesus Christ. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 14, here is what is said to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up one of your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Let's not lose how amazing this is, what God is speaking to David in the earlier parts of chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. David starts off by saying, God, I, I want to build a house for you. It's not, it's not right that you have been, your presence has been with us through, through, a, through a box, through the Ark of the Covenant. I want to build a great house for you. And how does God respond uh, to David? He responds through a prophet named Nathan. And God says to David, no, I'm going to build a house for you. It's just such amazing grace. David's saying, God, I want to build, I want to build a house for you. You're, you're, you're God. In that culture at that time, the bigger the God, the more impressive the God, the more uh, large and impressive the temple, the, the more impressive the place of worship. And God, David knows that the God that he worships, that there is no God like him. So he's imagining a great and glorious temple, a great and glorious house of worship to be built for the God of Scripture, the God whose presence has been with this nation, Israel, as they've been uh, going through the desert, as they have been uh, fighting different people that are coming after them, as God is showing his faithfulness to them time and time again. David wants to build a great temple for this God to be worshipped at. And, and again, how does God respond? No, David, David, I am going to build a great house for you, but not a house that you, they, that you live in and walk through a house in the form of a household, a kingdom, a line that will come from you. It's incredible grace. What does this show us? It shows us that God's plans are better than ours. God's plan for David in this situation was far better than David's own plans. Now, let's not uh, be quick to, to, to assume that David's plan to build a temple for God was a bad one. It's not bad at all. It's wonderful that David wants to do this. Uh, he's king. He has access to all of these resources. He has hundreds, thousands of people uh, working for him and, and hanging on to his every word, doing whatever he asks. And he wants to use that power and authority to build a wonderful place of worship for God. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. But God has a better plan. God has a better plan than even David's good plan. And that's what God speaks over David in these earlier verses. And it's in response to that, it's in response to what God says that David then prays this prayer of gratitude, which is really what we're looking at here today. And this prayer starts 
in verse 18 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. So in the earlier verses, God declares this covenant with David, and then David responds with a prayer of gratitude. Now, there is a lot in this prayer. It's a wonderful prayer full of things for us to learn. But as we go through this prayer together, it's important that we remember that it's not David who's the hero of this prayer. Far from it. It's God. It's God. And that is what David is responding to, is God's promise over him and the grace that God is showing him. It's God who is the hero of David's prayer that starts in verse 18. David starts at the very beginning of this prayer by asking, Who am I? Who am I? That's how it starts. Verse 18, David's saying, Who am I? I mean, this is a big question, isn't it? It's a question that I suspect you've asked at various times in your life. I know I sure have. Who am I? Many in our culture ask that question. Even through COVID, many have asked that question because COVID has forced us in many ways, in many uncomfortable ways, uh, to have to slow down, to have to reassess, to look at our surroundings, to look at our relationships, to look at our work, to look at what we do for fun, for enjoyment, for meaning, uh, for fulfillment, uh, for finding our purpose. Uh, COVID has been a time where many have asked this question, who, who am I? Who am I? Like, really? And What we find pervasive in our culture is that we get to be the authority on that question. And and what so often uh, comes back is that, well, you're free to decide who you are. You're free to determine whoever you want to be. You come up with the answer and, and nobody can tell you otherwise. That's what we believe as a culture, isn't it? That, that we get to be the writers of our own story. We get to be the masters of our own destiny. And surely within that, that we get to answer the question of who we are. And if anybody were to say that they get to answer, well, that would be be highly offensive. Even for us as polite Canadians, still that would be offensive because we are the ones who get to say who we are. But I know in my own life that, that my own answers... Uh, to that question of who am I, they've shifted over time. When I was uh, young, when I was a teenager, you know, who am I? My answer to that was different than it is today. Then I I wanted to be good at something. I remember being about 16 years old. uh, A lot of my friends uh, played an instrument um, and and most of them played an instrument really well. For most of them, it was guitar, electric guitar. Um, I had no music uh, training, I didn't have any music theory, but I wanted to be able to play an instrument. So I chose the instrument that you don't need to have theory for, and that's the drums. I chose the drums and I decided I wanted to be a really good drummer. That was one of the things that I wanted to be, kind of defining myself. Oh yeah, yeah, he, Rich, he's, 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 he's good at the drums. That, that was a big thing for me. That's something that I really wanted. But as I got a little bit older, that mattered a little bit less. As I was doing my undergrad studies, it was that, no, I, 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 not in my first year, but in my second year when I realized that I was paying for this education, I wanted to be good at academics. I wanted to get good grades. I wanted my undergrad degree to open things up for what I wanted to do after the undergrad degree, which was postgraduate work. And I moved to England and I was asking that question again. Who am I? Well, I wanted to finish this degree and then I wanted, I wanted to work in communications in London. I wanted to be a communications professional in, in this, this uh, you know, massive uh, global city. Uh, everybody knows London and to say that I worked in communications in London, well, that would, that would be really great. That's what I wanted part of my 
identity to be. My, my point is this, that at various times in my life, my answer to that question has changed. Changed when I got married, changed when I had kids, changed when Natalia and I moved here to Ottawa to start this church. It's not been a constant thing when I've been able to come up with that answer. It, it, it shifts with time. It's, it's, it's kind of like a short-term investment. I've been reading a lot about Bitcoin recently. It's kind of how people treat Bitcoin. It's like for so many, it's, it's a short-term thing. It's what can I get out of this in the, in the immediate? But as soon as it starts to slide, as soon as it's down a bit, as soon as it's not working for me anymore, I'm out. And then I want to find something else. Our answer to that question of who am I, we kind of treat it the same way. As long as it's working for us, we're, we're, we're happy with it and we're willing to stick with it. But as soon as it stops working for us, we want to come up with a different answer. Maybe you can relate to some of that. Maybe you're asking that question even right now. But at this stage of his life, King David is thinking differently. David's question of who am I is not one that he is asking himself. He is not asking himself this question. He's asking the only one whose opinion truly matters above all other opinions. And he prays in verse 18, he says, Who am I, O Lord God? Who am I? Oh, Lord God. He's asking this question very differently than we so often do. See, friends, there's a big difference between who am I versus who am I? Do you hear that? Do you hear the difference in it? The first one is, is us wanting to define ourselves, having, having that, that answer for ourselves. The second one is a response to grace. It's who am I? Who am I? God, that you would do this for me. David is responding to the grace of God, and in light of that grace, he's asking how he could possibly be deserving of this great promise from God that is given earlier in the chapter. And it's this grace that leads David to answer that question, that question of who am I? He knows who he is because he refers to himself the same way 10 times in these 11 verses. Maybe you caught it as the scripture was read to us. He says 10 times in these 11 verses, he refers to himself as your servant. Your servant. Verse 19, you have spoken of your servant's house. Verse 20, for you know your servant, O Lord God. Verse 21, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. And I could go on seven more times, David refers to himself as your servant, as God's servant. David knows who he is because he knows of the grace of God on his life. David is a servant of God. King David, King David, the king who has many servants all around his palace, all around him, all waiting for him to give an order. This king, King David, knows that he even though he's a king, is a servant of God. And we may think, well, I don't want to be a servant of God. I, I, that's not what I sing in, in the worship songs. I sing about being a son. I sing about being a daughter. That, that's, that, I can worship to that, but I, I, I don't want to sing about being a servant. It doesn't sound very nice because we, we, we hear that word and we understand that word through our own cultural lens and cultural experiences. For us, when we hear that word, we think of various points in Canadian history, in American history, 
where to be a servant was to be horribly oppressed, was to be held down, was to be abused, horrible things. So when uh, the preacher speaks about being a servant of God, we think, no, 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 I, the, the son and daughter stuff, that's cool. But being a servant, no, I, I, that, that, that doesn't sit very well with me. Well, look, I, I understand that. I understand that we hear these words and we uh, can't help, I, I do it myself, but interpret them through our own uh, histories or our culture's history or what we've learned of other cultures and other societies of various times. But it's important that we know that when David is referring to himself as a servant of God, as a servant of the Lord, I mean, you hear it in his prayer. He's not referring to it as a negative thing at all. Far from it. He's, he's delighting in it that this is who he is. This is who he gets to be. He is a servant of God. And, and, and don't worry if you think, well, if, if, I, if I'm a servant of God, that means I don't get to be a son or a daughter. That's not true. In the Christian life, we get to be both. We get to hold these things together. We're not forced to choose between being a son or a daughter and being a servant of God. This is the very example that Jesus, the very perfect son of God, set for us himself. And he speaks this way about himself in John chapter 14. He says this in verse 31 of John 14. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is speaking as both a servant and a son. And so is David. And so can you and I. Who am I? What, what, Christian, what's your answer to that question? Follower of Jesus, what's your answer to that question? This is the answer that Scripture gives you. You are a servant of the Most High God, adopted into the family of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You're adopted in as a beloved son or daughter, called to the high privilege of serving your God, the Lord Most High. What a privilege it is for us to be both servants of God and part of God's family as sons and daughters that he loves. Now, being a servant and being a son or a daughter of God means being caught up in God's great story of salvation. And that's what we also see David giving thanks to God for in this prayer of gratitude. In verse 22 and 23 of 2 Samuel 7, David says this, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, According to all we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Do you hear what David's responding to here? He, he's responding to the grace of God shown to him by God drawing David up into God's great story of redemption. I mean, David, David, surely if anybody's going to be justified in trying to make God fit his story, wouldn't it be King David? I mean, he's king. Not only is he king, but he's king over God's people. But still, David doesn't do that. He gives thanks to God that God has called David and is using David as a servant and as a son, in God's great story of redemption, of, in God's great story of saving a people 
unto himself. See, this is what grace does. Grace leads us to see things in their proper light, in their proper context, in their proper ordering. And grace has led David to see that David's life is about being caught up in God's story, whereas legalism, the opposite of grace, where we think, well, I've kept all the rules, so now God is going to squeeze into my story somehow, and he owes me things because I've kept the rules, so he owes these things that I want, he owes them to me, and we think that God has to fit into our own stories. I've, I've seen this many times in my own life. I've seen this many times in, in ministry, in pastoral care. Uh, people who have come to me, uh, and I'm not excusing myself from this because I've done this many times in my own life, but sometimes people coming and, and there's a pain that they're feeling because they feel that God owes them something because they've kept the rules. They've been a good Christian and, and, and God is supposed to come through for them and, and owes them something because they've done what they're supposed to do. That's not where grace leads us. <laughs> That's where legalism leads us. It's where we think we have this kind of contractual agreement with God. We do this and God has to do that. It's not how it works. Grace has led David, grace has led David to see that he has been caught up in God's great story of redemption and that God owes him absolutely nothing but that David is there as a king, as a servant, as a son, completely by the grace of God. Do you know that that is true in your own life? Do you know that God is not getting up every morning trying to figure out how he can fit into your story? There's something far better than that for you. An invitation for you to get caught up in God's story. If you don't see your own life that way, if you struggle to see uh, your Christian day-to-day -day existence that way, if you're a follower of Jesus, my encouragement to you is this. Become captivated by the grace of God. Look at the grace of God on your own life. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. The one who went and paid the penalty that you deserved and that I deserve, laying his life down for us. Look at the grace that God has shown you, that you get to be called a son or a daughter of God and that you get to serve God. And you will see your rightful place. You will see that this is about God's great story, that his plans are far better than yours and his plans are far better than mine. And then we can humbly say, God, in light of your grace, thank you for catching me up in your story of redemption. How is it that you want to use me in what you want to do in my life and what you want to do in my city and in this world? Rather than, God, can you come and give me these things that I want for me, just for my own selfish gain, just for the, the things that I want to feel better about myself? No, this is about God's great story and us being caught up in his. And then the final thing that David does in this prayer is he places his faith again in God and he gives thanks to God. And he says, Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Do you hear that? God, you've said it. It will come to pass. God, 
I trust you. I take you at your word. It's wonderful, isn't it? It can be hard to pray that way. It can be hard to pray with our hearts uh, truly positioned um, in trusting God. Uh, you know, there are times when I pray, and often my prayers don't end that way. Often it's, God, just please help me to trust you with this, because right now I'm really struggling to trust you. You know what? That's an okay pray, way, way to pray as well. If that's your heart even right now, be honest in your prayer life. Be honest in praying that. But pray that, that you would have the same attitude that, that David has. God, you've said it, so that's enough for me. You've said it. I'm going to trust your word, and what you've said will come to pass. And as we keep reading this story about David, uh, we see that it does come to pass in his son Solomon. These things that God has spoken over him in the early part of chapter 7 do uh, see their fulfillment um, in, in Solomon, but ultimately their fulfillment comes through Jesus Christ himself, the perfect son of God, the perfect one who, if you want to know the grace of God on your life, you need to look no further than to him, than to Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to learn from this prayer of gratitude uh, from David. I've so enjoyed um, putting this, uh, this sermon together because I've just been able to take stock of things in my own life and, and, and promises that God has made over me, some of which I've seen uh, come to fruition, others that I'm still waiting for. But through it all, I've been able to see so many examples of God's grace, grace in my own life, not because I've kept all the rules, not because God owes it to me. God, uh, if this was about what God owes, well, it's death. It's pain and it's death. That's what I'm deserving of. But God in his grace has chosen to bless me. God in his grace, if you're in Christ, has chosen to bless you. That blessing often looks very different than what we think it will look like. But your God is committed to doing you good. Do you know that you've been caught up in his story? Do you know that this is about this great saving work that God has done? I hope so. I hope so. That's what this church is about. We, we, we are vessels, humble vessels being used by God in this great story of salvation. What a privilege for us to do that, both as servants of God and as sons and daughters.